<clears throat> okay. We're recording officially. Nice. Okay. Well, this is good. It's good to be here with you. you so, uh, I'm Justin Aarons. And I'm Wills Francis. And this is Design Of. And Ryan O'Neill, our guest today, thank you for being a part of our podcast. Absolutely, my pleasure. Uh, our podcast is about uh, people and how they make their ideas happen. And so I can't wait to dig into all the things that you do. So, Wills, before we start, we should probably let everyone know who Ryan O'Neill is. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah? yeah. Do you want to do, do it? Or? Sure, I can okay, do it. Let's go. Um, for those of you who don't know, Ryan O'Neill is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist behind the band Sleeping at Last, which we've all both heard, I think, a few yeah, times. Yeah. yeah, and so multi-instrumental, like what, he plays everything? Name an instrument and he has played it. Piano. Well, yes. Violin. Yes. Harmonica. Yeah, believe even that one. All right. And here's the thing about Ryan's music. It feels both gentle and powerful at the same time. Like it's almost giving volume to the thoughts that each of us has but doesn't know how to communicate. Well, it's also incredibly beautiful. Yeah, certainly. What about a cello, by the way? He can play the cello too. Yeah. It's awesome. We're really close to each other right now. We're really close. Are you okay never, me looking into your eyes like this? I, I prefer it. Okay, that's good. That's good. I, I, I'm sitting intimate. here on the other couch, and I'm like feeling a little left out about this moment that you're having. <laughs> no, well, you know, well, we can, yeah, we can switch seats and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for those of uh, our listeners who may not know who you are, which I can't believe they wouldn't, um, you are the leader of Sleeping at Last. Why don't you give us a little background about your music and when you got started and all that sort of thing? Yeah, um, so I started uh, quite a while ago. Uh, the name Sleeping Last has been around for over 13, 14 years now. Um, and it started as a band with my brother and my best friend, Dan. Um, and uh, it, it was kind of this thing that naturally evolved into a solo project about six years ago. Um, and so yeah, it's been it's been the, the name in which I've made music under for a long time. Um, and I actually got the name when I was I think I was maybe, well, I don't, I'm not going to do the math right now, but I was pretty young and I was looking for a band name, and so I was in a bookstore and I thought, like, okay, whatever page I turn to next in this poetry book is going to be the name. So it was Come this on. Christina Rossetti poem called Sleeping Last, and I was like, hey, that's, that's interesting. We woke up, the world was figured out, beyond the beauty we dreamt about, this brilliant light's brighter than we Now, the name Sleeping Last feels so, uh, like it doesn't even feel like a thing, like, you know what I mean? I'm sure Rule 29 or any of your other projects are kind of the same way. Like you hear it so many times, it just it just is a word that represents this part of your life. It doesn't even like, I don't even like register it as words. Right. It seems like the right <laughs> fit, like it yeah. was a great choice. Yeah, I, didn't, I never heard that story. So you literally opened up yeah, a book. Yeah, literally opened and, it up as a joke. I wasn't actually gonna do it, but then I was like, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> well, how, how old were you when you did this? Uh, so I probably was, I guess, 16, 15, 16, something like that. Okay. So Ryan started his band with his buddy Dan and his brother, and then they just all eventually decided to go other ways, and he kept pursuing his music. They were kind of always my songs from the beginning, and so when when each of them uh, at different points decided like they were maybe interested in other things and um, not necessarily wanting to do music full-time, which, I mean, I think with, some, with any job that's creative, I feel like you sort of have to want to... I guess be willing to give 110% of your your soul mm-hmm. to it. And so for both of them, I think that they loved their time doing it and then um, eventually just felt like, I think that they were just interested in other things. 
it was a, it was really beautiful transitions too because I think it uh, it was like at the perfect time where I I was at a you know kind of a tipping point of whether or not I want to keep going with that name or go under just my own name and I felt like since they're all my songs and I I, I sort of felt like Sleeping Last is like my my audio journal in mm-hmm. a way so I'm like mm-hmm. okay I'm gonna I'm gonna carry it forward so that's been the last six years and it's been uh, it's been a really I mean it's really fun I'm a, I'm a, I'm an introvert so I think like the going solo thing was actually a uh, it, it brought life to my career in a way, even though I loved, you know, it being an ensemble for a while. So yeah. do you think at that, um, moment where your brother and your friend kind of left was when you made the departure from like, this is kind of a fun thing that I do to now, like, uh, I'm giving this 110%. This is going to be like my career path, my, my art, yeah. my passion. Yeah, totally. It, well, we actually we had some pretty cool experiences as a band. So we signed to Interscope Records when we were all pretty young. So that was like the first moment of feeling like, oh, maybe music could be like. Yes, yeah, so how old are you when you signed? Uh, that was right around. I, it was probably a couple years after I started. So I was maybe 18. Oh wow, something wow. like that. So it was pretty young, um, and we all felt like that was like our. I mean, especially in those days. Now I, I joke around with friends like anytime somebody's like, you know gets kicked off their label or leaves their label that's almost like the new signing to a label like oh congratulations <laughs> you're no longer with your label amazing <laughs> may these words be the first to find you what i love about that statement is it just shows that ryan although he's like a gentle amazing guy he's really like a punk rocker yeah and all these guys <laughs> work up to getting their label and then they just drop it and they're so excited and he's like yes i'll give you everything i have i'll teach you everything I'll do better. I actually started approaching music a little bit differently. Right around that time, I, I instead of doing like one album every few years, I would actually um, I, did, I started these series of music. It started with Yearbook, which was me recording and writing three songs uh, every month for a year. So before that, it was just you know twelve songs every two or three years. So I really creatively wanted to turn up the volume and, and just put out as much as I possibly could, and that I think drove a lot of uh, the last five years going back to you know when you got your record deal like just can you remember your emotions yeah so it was actually kind of a crazy series of events so um we played at the metro downtown uh and that was like a huge milestone in our career of playing like oh my gosh like this is the place that we saw all of our favorite bands and so we got to actually play some shows there and on one of those shows we uh we actually um we ran into Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins. When you start thinking whether people are going to understand what you're doing, that's a mistake. You just do what you can do, and, and you make it the best you can make it. And, and I think if it's beautiful, even if people don't understand it, they'll still be drawn to it. You know, it's, sometimes you see a painting and you don't understand what it's about, but it's still beautiful. And he took a liking to the music and um, ended up kind of like mentoring us for uh, about a year, um, and that led to the signing of Interscope Records. And so that whole that whole year, dude, I'm gonna stop. Do you want me to like? Do you want Do you want that kind of background noise? It's fine. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. This, this is, is hey, <laughs> this is design of. This is a podcast of reality. Okay, right, right. We're at your so of. We, we didn't with the punches. Yeah, I mean, just for everyone to know. So we are at your house right now. Thank yeah. you again for opening up um, your house to two strangers who we just met. We no. just met just <laughs> no. two minutes ago. No, thank you for letting us in your house. So we're in your home studio, and but so Smashing Pumpkins. I'm, yeah, so I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. Now, were they signed with Interscope too? They weren't actually. So Billy, um, this was right at the end of Smashing Pumpkins. Like, I think that the, the, I guess the first round of the Smashing Pumpkins had they'd, they'd broken up, and 
uh, in that time that he was sort of um, kind of figuring out his next step for his music, um, we came across, uh, or I guess he came across our music and was just super supportive and encouraging to us. So we um, ended up coming to my parents' house where we used to rehearse and like actually like really, really specifically took me under his wing, um, even like as as nice of things of like relationship issues I was having with my girlfriend at the time and, and things like that. Like he would be, he was like a very much like a big brother. I'll make you mine, I'll make you mine if you would have me. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and so that led, because of that and then signing to Interscope, it was like this very surreal, uh, special year or two. And then as soon as we signed with Interscope, that's when a lot of the hard work began. Um, the way I mus make music now is like the complete opposite of how I made music with Interscope. Like I took about a year, I think we were in the studio for almost a solid year of wow. like between like the mixing and actual tracking. And um, it was just like the budget was ridiculous. And uh, like we, I, I mean, just to get the songs mixed, 12 songs or whatever it was, we mixed them in London for, and we were all there even though we weren't mixing it. Um, we were there for like two months. <laughs> it's like, that's the kind of budget, uh, yeah. you know, major labels back then. That's probably why they don't fully uh, operate the way they used to. But yeah, so it was really fun, but it was really, really hard. Uh, I was, I, I beat myself up a lot on trying to make sure like this is my big opportunity, my big chance, and I didn't want to screw it up. And um, so I, I like broke down a little bit mm. in, during that process. And I, I loved it because, I, I guess in retrospect, I loved it because it taught me everything I know uh, about producing now. So ev everything I'm able to do with my music now is because of like that difficult process of recording my first record with with a co-producer and um, and the friction that we experienced for like the, a year straight led to uh, me knowing how to run mics and uh, knowing what compressors do and uh, how to run Pro Tools. I'm always interested by people who um, kind of put out a a volume of work like early in their career and then like yeah. have an awesome longer career. Like, what is it like for you to like look back at that music that you put out? Or is it is do you have a feelings of like, oh man, I wish I could take it back out <laughs> of the world or like you know like or change it in some way? Are you like you enjoy seeing the process of your work even though it's in the public eye? Totally, you know I mean? totally. I would say I would say. In general, it's like looking at like an old yearbook photo of you where you're just yeah. like embarrassed about your haircut or something like that. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I thought that was cool. Um, but the only thing that I, and I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm ashamed of it, but the only thing that I would like, I'm embarrassed that people hear is my, my first, first, first album, which not a lot of people know about. It's called Capture. Mm -hmm. And that was my first time uh, really hearing my voice on a recording other than a couple of smaller recordings. Um, and it just, it sounds like that, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it sounds yeah. like I'm trying to figure it out and I'm trying to learn what my voice is supposed to sound like. And it sounds, um, it's yeah, it's, it's so that is no longer like in print. <laughs> and right. It's not available anywhere. After everything we've seen, we've barely caught a glimpse of what it means. But my my ghost record, that's the first um, record that I put out with Interscope, and that's where I, I learned a lot about um, 
writing and producing and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's like it's I'm actually proud of it, even though it is really kind of hard to hear. Like I hear all the tension in it, and I hear I remember you know really random like oh that one guitar out of seven in the song <laughs> was really annoying to record and it took me like four days, you know. Right. Um, so I hear all of those things, but I would say from then on, which is well over a decade ago, I'm it it, it sounds more like I can I, I can be proud of the progression rather than um, just paying attention to like wow that was terrible and I wish people weren't listening to it. <laughs> so tell us what you are doing now. Like what yeah what projects <clears throat> have you been working on the last couple months or years and what's kind of on the docket now if you can yeah share that stuff yeah absolutely so um, so about four or five years ago I worked on Yearbook which I I, I mentioned was like my uh, kind of my first approach at like a series of music rather Mm -hmm. than like the traditional album and that informed kind of everything that I'm doing now so um, I started a kind of a long-form project called Atlas and it's gonna span over I think about four or five years total Um, and so I I break them down into each each year uh, is a collection so year one came out last year and um, basically thematically it tells the story through different songs and releases uh, of like the origins of the universe which is a a very vague and big story but I I love the idea of um, kind of I mean just internally knowing like each song has to have a theme specifically so it's not always just a blank canvas and that has sort of like led to this bigger project called Atlas and um, and so yeah so I'm doing year two of Atlas right now and it's 25 songs over um, between now and I guess a year from now and um, uh, it's been really fun. So this year is all about life. So it's all about human development. So I'm gonna do a song for each of the five senses. Um, and I'm also going to do um, a song for each of the the nine Enneagram types, which mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I think Justin, you're familiar with oh, the Enneagram. Yeah. Are you, yeah. Wills? Took the test this week, actually. Did you? Yeah. What, what are you, what are you uh, what's your number? Uh, I'm a helper. I yeah, that's a two. Eight. Or a two? I think yeah. it's a two. Yeah, the helper's a two, yeah, I think. Um, and then what were you? I'd have to look mine up. I have I actually took it too. Is I have it here on my computer, but I actually have, I'm tied, You're which tied. I didn't think it was possible. <clears throat> what are you tied between? Do you know? Uh, it was like uh, the helper and something else. And the peacemaker. Yes. Okay. That's typically like for some reason people always like I actually when I first took it too I uh, fell in the exact same thing. I'm definitely a nine, which is the peacemaker. Um, and a friend of mine told me, and this is totally a side note, but a friend of mine told me that um, the way to know your Enneagram type isn't necessarily to do the test, it's to read the descriptions of the weaknesses of each test, mm. and whichever one hurts the most is your, is your type. Doesn't that sound fun? Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> well, and actually, we'll put a link to the test uh, yeah. in, our, in our description. We are the test previous um sort of chapter or or release of atlas yeah what was your inspiration behind those yeah so atlas year one um was i i love the idea of like starting before the universe existed so i started it with an ep called darkness and i i kind of look at that as both uh you know we don't sort of mystery where we don't understand what was before the universe existed and then people of faith uh, like myself i think that that also is uh maybe acknowledging the mystery of god in in that in that theme and then light i think uh uh, is the second ep and that that acknowledges you know the the start of the universe um and then i did a song for each of the planets in our solar system so i did two little volumes of space 
space EPs, which was really fun. That was one of my. I love those, by the way. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. Um, I didn't I, like. I always knew that I was into space, but until I like researched for those songs, I was like, apparently, I'm apparently I'm way into it. <laughs> like, yeah. Really, really into space. Um, and then I did an EP called Land. Uh, so basically, if you, I mean, the way I like to think of it is like there's a there's a video camera that's pulled out into like the farthest points of the universe and then each EP or each release that I put out is like it coming closer and closer to us and to our world. To me, what I what I love about this and I don't want to make an assumption no, is as a as a fellow creative, what I love about that concept is it gives you a parameter or inspiration. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what um, and it's a, I've learned recently that it's similar to film scoring in that like you have something that gives you feedback. So if I'm writing a song about I don't know um, the sense of feeling, or I mean, I guess the sense of sight. I I couldn't write something that I mean things either fit that right. idea or they don't. And similar to scoring a film where you you see the picture and you see the like the characters or the mood of the film and you play music and you automatically know like oh that does not work or mm -hmm. it does work so I do I, I think like you said there's there's some sort of really uh, I don't know it's really inspiring to have some limitations on your art mm -hmm. and because I, I always have I mean I think everybody does but anytime there's like a blank page in front of me it makes me very scared So can you try to explain your process? So yeah. let's say um, pick what you know either something you work on now or, or last year's atlas. How do you like how do you start? Yeah, so I've kind of figured it out with the uh, like these little I guess uh, not rituals, what's the right word? Practices. Mm -hmm. I've I've figured out like which practices work for me and I, I kinda learned this this idea to search for that from a book called songwriters on songwriting and i can't remember it's a basically first of all it's a it's a book of interviews with different songwriters and it's all about the craft of songwriting John is in a basement, mixing up the all these incredible musicians i think everybody from uh bob dylan paul mccartney like everybody you can think of that's like classically like known as like an incredible mm. songwriter it's just interviews about their process and the theme running through the whole book is that nobody knows what they're doing nobody has any clue where the songs come from why they exist when they why they appear when they did and um, and so but everybody kind of talks about their like ritual or their their practice of Process, how to like how be ready for it and yeah. somebody said in the book and I and I'm sure that there's I think there's so many quotes similar to this but uh, creating is sort of like waiting for a bus what Ryan is saying with that bus analogy is that if you're not preparing and ready for inspiration to strike you're gonna miss it yeah and if you're not at the bus stop then you're gonna miss that moment yeah, and I think that's a misconception that a lot of people have about creative work is that you're just running around picking up ideas left and right. But we both know that's not always the case. So every day what I try to do for the lyrics end of it is I will try to just, even if it's a word that is interesting to me or um, an idea of, of a, like a line of lyrics or just, you know, stream of consciousness kind of writing, I try to do it every day. So I'm just like recording nonstop. Um, and then the same thing applies to music. So I have my, just my little iPhone recorder and I will sit down at the piano sometimes intentionally and sometimes just to mess around and I will record if just a couple chords sound good that day. And what happens is like I forget about these little these little collections of, of lyrics or music. And then when I go back or if I find an idea that 
that sounds maybe more substantial, um, I'm able to go through those little collections and sort of like figure out, oh, that that little idea that I totally don't remember, but I that it sort of connects somehow in this in this other way or in this uh, to this other piece of music that I'm working on. So it's a all I have to say, it's a process of a lot of collecting. My way of waiting at that bus stop is I try to record every day. So I um, and I'm I don't I don't do it religiously, but I do it as much as I can. So for lyrics, I will sit down. I have a journal app on my computer and phone. The deadlines actually made things appear that would not have appeared at all. You know, yeah. In my in my writing and in the like, just me pushing, pushing, pushing harder and harder than I than I even knew I, I could do. Um, now it's now it's interesting too because I, I, I have a daughter and she's nine months old and that like she's I've adorable actually, by the way. Thank you so much. I'm pretty proud of her. She's yeah. she's my masterpiece. <laughs> I didn't have much to do with it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, something to do with it. A little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But now I'm really trying to figure out how to how to structure my days because I used to I used to just work all the time and there would be no hours similar to that waiting for the bus stop thing. I would just be waiting there yeah. <laughs> all day, every day until I sleep. Um, and now I'm like, now I've decided that, you know, eight to five or whatever is, that's where I'm going to be at the bus stop. And I'll, you know, I'll be ready if it happens at 9 PM or something. Right. But. Bring us into the process of waiting and preparing what that's yeah, like. Yeah. So I'll tell you what I'd, I'd <laughs> what I would ideally like it to look like. It would be sitting at a piano or just kind of patiently waiting. Yeah. Um, what it realistically looks like is me being frustrated and <laughs> following twenty rabbit holes on the internet of random distractions. I'm like, oh, I'll just I'll just take a peek at that, you know, that review of whatever movie, and then you know, forty five minutes later, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm writing a song now. I forgot. Um, <laughs> so that's that's really what it looks like. But um, the deadlines uh, do actually make it look a little different because right. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of hard on myself. So if I'm, if I'm on a crazy deadline and I find myself doing anything that's outside of working on it, I will, mm. I will be a little bit <laughs> probably too hard on myself. So I am constantly just banging my head on the computer screen waiting for something to fall out. Um, music generally gets pulled together a little bit more quickly and more organically. Like I feel like music, well, there's only 12 chords. That's probably, that's probably why there's only 12 chords or 12 notes and, uh, and with words, there's however many, you know, right. <laughs> infinite combinations of words. Um, so music comes together quicker and sort of uh, where the, I guess, craftsmanship or where the work goes into is just like arranging it and like re-tweaking re, uh, some of the connections to verses and choruses and things like that. But lyrics, that's all. That I, I always like joke around that that feels like building a house or something. <laughs> like, right. There's certain things that you can do that just don't work. Chances are we bruise the same A family tree desperate for rain So there's this record hanging on the wall of your studio here and it has Twilight stuff on it. What exactly is that? I wrote my song Turning Page and um, kind of wrote it looking at... I think I even looked at like a... Uh, like leaked photos of the movie, you know, like we leaked like screenshot or screen grabs or whatever of the film. And so I like use those as like the inspiration. So I saw that the wedding was like outside and like, there's like little clues that I, I picked up. And um, so I wrote the song and I wrote it as a love song for, for Kate, but I, I, I bent it in, or I, I, is that the right word? I leaned it in um, to have a little bit more of a, of a twilight uh, connection in the lyrics. I know what you are. 
see it. Vampire. Your love is my turning page. Only the sweetest words remain. That is amazing that Ryan was in a movie, and then he was also in a bunch of TV shows. Yeah, a bunch of TV shows and even a few commercials recently. I think he was in the big commercial, right? Oh, yeah. The Super Bowl ad for Budweiser. Oh, man. That's my favorite one. The one with the puppies. Um, this was, I think, about a, maybe about a week before, I would say maybe two weeks before the Super Bowl. Um, I got a phone call. It was like, hey, there's a, there's a company that would like to... They're considering using your music for a, a commercial. Company. <laughs> a company. It, it always starts like super big like that. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, what's it for? And they're like, well, it's this commercial. It's actually going to be a Super Bowl commercial. And there's no, you know, you're, you're just up among a few other artists that they're considering, but we're just, you know, we're dealing with the, you know, the, the terms and the, you know, we just wanted to know, are you available if they wanted to make any tweaks to your, your cover of 500 Miles, which I recorded actually for Grey's Anatomy about a year before that. And, um, so I was like, yeah, I'd love to, that'd be amazing. And I, I'm, I've known from the years of these opportunities coming up and then going away yeah. <laughs> that you don't, you, you so that try moment, how, yeah. how did you just think it's not going to happen? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've had, I've, I've had definitely a handful of commercials that are, uh, so the ad world is very, very different than even the TV and film uh, music world. So it, it's, it's way more competitive first of all there's way more um, money being thrown around for the production of the of the actual commercial and it's just a lot more involved in a lot of different ways and they often do have you make a lot of changes to your music and mm-hmm. things like that um and so i before the before the budweiser spot i actually had never successfully gotten a commercial before um i've had you know like i said a ton <laughs> wow. a ton of opportunities that looked like there's actually one that was a car commercial and it was for the Olympics, uh, and it was like it, it ran like every two minutes. And I, I was it was between me and another artist, and of course, last minute they picked the other artist. And so I've learned to get very not suspicious, but to like keep keep expectations yeah. in check. Um, and so when I got that call, I was like, okay, I'm really excited, <laughs> but I'm just gonna do the work and see, you know, whatever happens. And then um, I eventually I ended up going back and forth with the company that actually um, produced the the the, the commercial. And um, kind of made some small changes to like they wanted the chorus at the end to be like more celebratory and more like mm-hmm. you know um, uh, more happy because I typically I, my music isn't um, doesn't make you want to jump out of your seat and dance <laughs> <laughs> as much as it makes you want to you know crawl into a closet and cry a little bit. <laughs> Just kidding. No, there's hope in there, but yeah. it's not it's not it's not dancey hope. So yeah, it was it was super fun though because I got to see a couple different cuts of that of that commercial while I was working on the music. So it was almost a little bit like scoring where I had to, you know, nudge the, you know, the the big chorus of the downbeat mm-hmm. hits like in the moment the the horses are like stampeding on the screen, you know? Yeah. When I wake up well I know I'm gonna be young. This is so funny because it turns out Ryan was super bummed for a few years that he had never landed any commercial. I think he's been close on a couple big brands, and then here he is getting the Super Bowl commercial. Classic. 
And I just like offhandedly made like a comment about like, oh, man, I don't think I'll ever get a commercial, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then like a month later, I get like the Super Bowl commercial. So now I just complain about everything. Yeah, that's hoping good. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that this, somehow helps the, the path. Well, I don't know if you know this, but one of our first sponsors for our for the design of podcast is this company called Emphasis. Oh my gosh! Tell have me. You heard of it? Have you tell heard of it? Tell me more about this. I have. Uh, well, tell me. Well, what have you? Heard about <laughs> yeah. What do you know about it? Yeah. What do you know about Emphasis? So Emphasis is a brand new company that I started with a couple of my close buddies. Um, one of one of which is sitting on the same couch with me right now. His name's Justin. And that guy, uh, I think that guy's really. That cool. guy's so cool. Yeah. Um, and so basically, the idea is, or the heart of the idea, is to give music listeners a chance to. You know that deeply connect with a specific lyric to be able to handpick that and put it on a T-shirt and um, kind of make their merch a little bit more personal. Because I, the idea came a few years ago when I was um, just sleeping last. I think a lot about you know, the, the T-shirts and things that I, I I make available and I thought like wouldn't it be cool like I, I know I personally connect with lyrics of songs that aren't necessarily the chorus or the single or whatever. Um, wouldn't it be cool to kind of like, you know, actually have something made specifically based on the lyrics that are that are just the ones that I like uh, and and wear that on a shirt. So emphasis.is. You love music, you love t-shirts, check out the website, pick your favorite lyric, design your own t-shirt, and there you go. Yeah, it's shipped right to your door. Thank you emphasis.is for being our first official sponsor. Wills, we did it. Yeah, we did. Our inaugural podcast is finished. It's in the books. But we should probably thank a few people first, I think. No, you're right. Yeah. I would like to thank Ryan O'Neill from Sleeping At Last for being our first guest. Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. We also want to thank Steve Wick, our audio engineer, who helped record and produce this thing. And Rule 29 for giving us the space to do this podcast. And finally, we'd uh, like to thank you guys for listening and encourage you to check us out online at designofpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at designofpodcast. And if you want to add some music to your iTunes and just be inspired by some beautiful tunes, check out Ryan's music at sleepingatlast.com. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye.